Welcome back to No But Yeah. This is episode number seven. So you guys have been really sticking us, sticking with us for a long time. Um, I'm Lily. And I'm Kendall. Um, okay. So I guess to kick us off, do we have any opening stories from the week? stories from the week oh yes okay so i watched this documentary on netflix called like white hot like the story of like abercrombie and fitch oh and like their reign of terror in like the late 90s early 2000s and i thought it was so interesting like it's this documentary on netflix and basically this guy mike jeffries the ceo gets a hold of it early 90s and before like Abercrombie and Fitch was like sort of like a sporting like an old-timey like you know that feel like the hounds and like plaid like that type kind of like Ralph Lauren or something yeah and so it gets a little outdated and so in the 90s they you know they take over Mike Jeffries and he makes it Abercrombie as we know it and it was very interesting like the way that like they talked about like okay obviously you close your eyes what does a Abercrombie and Fitch model look like blonde super shredded beachy girl like very much eurocentric white and they actually got in a lot of trouble in like the 2000s like late 2000s because of discrimination like they were literally like not putting people of color on their floor to work like they would have them in the back or scheduling them on like the night shift and stuff and I was just like whoa that's insane like I like, you know, you always know that like, this is what Abercrombie looks like. The advertisements are very like homogenous, but to think, and like, I just, it just made me think about how like growing up, like in our teen phase, like Abercrombie was definitely, it's rain was over. The fall of Rome was near. (laughs) It was really Hollister that everyone was like, yeah, this is, this is it. That's so funny. I didn't I didn't know that because all I mean, I had obviously been aware of like the issues with like body inclusivity and everything with their like limited size range and stuff. But I had never heard Mm. of the discrimination aspect. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And like eventually like the he's no longer CEO, but Mike Jeffries was like, yes, my brand is exclusive. We don't want everyone buying our stuff. And it's like like literally like we want the cool kids, quote unquote. That's and also just, just insane because it's so clear that like you can only you only get to make those decisions if you already have are sitting on millions and millions of dollars where you're like, it doesn't matter if we lose these customers. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like that was a huge part of the sh- like the documentary, too, was just like it's just not a smart business model to discriminate uh-uh. so heavily against most people are not size two you know literally you know don't look like this why are you only targeting to people who look like this and that is crazy very interesting very cool like I'm all about that I love social crazes social phases what's what's in or what's out and like the thing is like these clothes were not like fashionable these are graphic tees (laughs) that had their (laughs) with the freaking moose on on them (laughs) you had like a moose that was it. Like it was not. <laughs> they were. It wasn't good clothes. But the fact that it had such a hold on teenagers, I'm just like the entire time I was like, whew, glad that wasn't my experience. Like they were definitely so irrelevant 
by the time I was in middle school and high school. Yeah. It was all Hollister. Wow. Flip-flops. <laughs> that is wild. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I guess I don't really have any stories either. I've been babysitting the last two days from nine to five, which historically <laughs> I've not been a babysitter only because I feel like I'm such a bad entertainer. Like I <laughs> can never come up with good things to do with like kids. And the girl I've been babysitting is like four years old. So she's at the age where she like can like understand some things, but not enough to like play a game with you. So it's literally just been me like sitting in my own presence for like (laughs) millions of hours. So I've been thinking a lot about podcast topics in those moments. So today it's interesting that you said the fall of Rome with your Abercrombie anecdote, because I've been also obsessively watching this Netflix show called the Medici's which is all about like the really rich Medici family of Florence who like basically funded all of the Renaissance and everything. And it's been like really interesting from like a religious perspective, because I think there's this whole like idea of like, of like kind of like the beginnings of the Catholic church in their like whole like reign, um, that spread globally. And so I think it's been really interesting to like see the, the, interconnectedness of like culture and art and Florence and also religion so today we are going to be discussing religion um and like faith and belief and everything that goes beyond the general scope of religion but I think it would be a good thing for us to kind of open up with like our personal experiences religious upbringing where we would say we are now because I feel like that will help address any biases that might come forth in the rest of the podcast. So Kendall, do you want to give a brief backstory? Yeah, I can do that. So um, very much Baptist, Christian, my mom's side of the family, we have a church, a little small church in North Carolina. My grandparents were pastors, their parents were pastors everyone who goes to that church is related to me somehow. So very much religious upbringing. Um, and so that was, that was my experience. That's, that's where my family background comes from. But like, as far as like my personal experience with religion, it's, it's a little up in the air. Like I, I always remember feeling like I was an outsider, like an observer of the Christian faith, not someone actually experiencing all this and I was like just remember being like when am I going to start feeling this swell of the heart or like this passion that everyone else is around me is feeling and it never really came and I remember very vividly like in in high school I took this um I did the IB course and there's this one course called theory of knowledge it's low-key philosophical but not really and we were all in a circle and someone had brought up like, we had to talk about like God and religion and stuff. And I remember being like, you know, who cares if like God is real or isn't real? Like the fact that there is something so real and tangible on this earth that we are physically on right now that moves people to be better humans, to be kinder, to, you know, be, you know, good people overall. Like, isn't that God in itself isn't that real in religion and I remember this one girl looking at me and being like no oh. like she wanted to kill me like no I'm just like dang like 
that's just how I feel like that's just me and there's this um there's this quote that I like by my favorite author um Kurt Vonnegut from it's from this book the uh, breakfast of champions and it goes you know there's once a short story about two pieces of yeast and they were discussing you know the possible you know purpose of life and as they ate and suffocated in their own excrement and you know while they're you know discussing because of their very limited intelligence they never realized that they were making champagne and that's what I like to think about like us on this earth like we're so small and so dumb and you know, we can go on and on about what life is or what isn't or what anything means or what anything doesn't mean. But maybe in the grand scheme of things, our purpose is that we're little bubbles of enjoyment for someone else, you know, if that makes sense. But I like to think that everyone is so, so, so wrong about what is after this life. And like, we're all just in the dark. And that that makes me laugh a little yeah that's my quote-unquote religion and I'm also very much over the place all over the place like I've been to um the masjid I've I've done Eid prayer I've I've been to the synagogue I joined a Jewish youth group I'm very much just everywhere mm-hmm. and um I'm gonna be like that for a while so that's yeah. where I'm at that's my background all of I my think biases that's beautiful Um, I would say like, I'm kind of similar my grandma and like my mom and my whole like mom side of the family are like all Catholic. And I went to like a Catholic school for kindergarten through eighth grade. And I would say like, I was pretty like, um, I was believing it, you know, and still, still am. I think I just, um, feel like, like to me, it's way less about like, um, and we'll talk about this later. Like it's way less about like the, the organization and like the traditional, like, um, beliefs and stuff. And more about like, just this idea, like you said, of like something beyond me and honestly, selfishly, like uh, almost like a meditative space for me to like, just get out of my own head and think that there is this possibility of something else. And I think it's really interesting because I feel like growing up, like, especially now in college, like, I feel like a lot of my friends, I feel like I've seen this like shift, especially in college, like either you are incredibly devout and you are in all of the religious organizations for your faith or you are like vehemently atheist, like there's no way God exists, whatever. And I think it's really interesting because I would say most of my friends are like the the atheist route. Um, and I and I say this because I do just think this is an interesting like dichotomy. Like a lot of people argue that like it's crazy for humans to think that there is like this one God that created the world that did all this when we are such dumb, like unknowing beings in the grand scheme of things but I feel like you could that could that could go the other way too to suggest that if we are so dumb or whatever then I think it's almost kind of naive of us to deny the possibility that there is something greater than us and something that yeah so I feel like I feel like I've definitely grown up with this like twinge of Catholicism and I feel like I certainly carry that into a lot of what I do today but that by no means 
is like traditional Catholicism where if you're divorced, you can't receive communion. And my middle school was like very, very like liberal leftist Catholic. Like the priest would give homilies about like gay people in our community or whatever. Like it was very like left, like what is this? And I think that like a lot of people assume when when you talk about like any any group, but particularly Catholicism, it's always like a little bit like, oh, then you must be like this conservative, whatever. And I do think it's just interesting to acknowledge like the range within some of the sects. Um, yeah, so I feel like I'm certainly still struggling with it. And I do think it comes out in these like selfish moments for me. And Kendall and I have joked sometimes like, like when you pray and you're like, you're only, you only pray when you're in need or when you're crying or something. And you're like, God, sorry, I'm going to talk to you more often. Like, but I just really need you right now. But I feel like that's very much where I'm at. Like it do certainly does guide me, but mainly in the moments when I feel like I, I need guidance and then otherwise no. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like very interesting, very intellectual very smart I loved all of the insight and like like you were you brought up prayer and it just reminded me that like okay so like sure I don't have like super strong faith or religion I'm not it's all up in the air but one thing I know for sure and I put my total faith in is Saint Anthony I'm oh yes I'm not Catholic anyone who knows me knows that me and the saint from Catholicism <laughs> I mean okay so St. Anthony is the patron saint of lost things, right? So, like, I remember I it was, like, years ago, like, maybe four years ago, I lost my wallet at my sister's, like, soccer tournament, and I'm freaking out. And this, like, one of the parents comes up to me, and she's like, just ask St. Anthony, and he'll find it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. St. <laughs> Anthony, find this wallet if you can, whatever. Sure enough, we found that wallet. And ever since, honey, I've found AirPods um wallets keys <laughs> tiny tiny pieces of jewelry like anything I name I find I kid you not I don't think there's a single thing that I've lost that he's not found and I don't know what it is and it's I'm him. waiting for the he is finding it for you <laughs> he is my everything y'all I think I'm just gonna create my own religion um just around the Saint Anthony like, Saint Anthony is God <laughs> he comes through every single time uh so I just thought that was really funny so now you know people if you need anything just call St. Anthony no, I, I talked to him like on the phone Kendall has has prayed on my behalf to St. Anthony several times since we've known each other and those things have always been found as well they always or I realize they don't matter anyway so it's like it's fine it, it all works out but I want to shift our conversation to this topic that Kendall and I have probably addressed in nearly every podcast episode that I know Kendall has just been aching to discuss. <laughs> and that is the Protestant work ethic slash Calvinism. So I'm going to let you take the reins on this one because I feel like you have a very good background and understanding of this. So do go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to think. I believe, I believe, I believe it's Weber who was the sociologist. Oh my God, I'm such Max a Weber. I gotta stop bringing up. Yeah, I gotta stop bringing him up. But anyway, he, his mother was a Calvinist and was it Durkheim? Actually, now I have to Google it and make sure that I know. But 
anyway, so basically what it says is that, you know, in Calvinism, the certain sect of Christianity or Protestantism is that your destiny or your status in heaven or hell has already been decided like before you were born and there's there's nothing that you can do in your lifetime on earth that will change that aspect so you just have to sort of live your life in a way that you know sort of mimics or might put out or project to other people that you do know but when reality you don't know and how do you do this by okay I googled it it was Weber it is Weber but how do you do this? Like, how do you like put out this like air that you know you're going to heaven, even though you don't? You work super hard. You bust your ass to like make the perfect farm and have the best shingles on your biggest house in the village, so that everyone can see like, oh, this person you know is, is going to heaven. And you and you sort of cast off like your your earthly possessions, but at the same time you're gathering all this wealth but not really using it. It's very like interesting and very contradictory. And it sort of has like connections to like what capitalism is and, you know, affects like our work week and things like that are just our work ethic. And I am obsessed with it. Whenever someone like, <laughs> if you know me, if I get an assignment that I think is outrageous, this Protestant work ethic. <laughs> They want you, like, every time I go to swim, I think of the Protestant work ethic. Like, working, like, to the bone, like, past what you actually need to, like, do well, just to make it seem, like, to everyone else that you're some, like, star student or you're some, like, you know, genius. Like, it's, like, things like that. And it's all just so fascinating. And I think it's interesting that, like, in our society, we're like, no, no way. You know, we have the church and we have state and we have religious things and not religious things. And the line is so, you know, demarcated. When in reality, I love pointing out that it's not. Mm -hmm. And that like, there is religious tints to almost everything that we can do. You going to a concert and experiencing like this collective, like, connectivity and you're sort of losing yourself in the boundaries of where you end and your neighbor begins gets blurred because you're moving and swaying to the same song like that's religious and so I bring that up all the time that's my little spiel on the protestant work ethic so my question about this is obviously in the sense that you're talking about it it is related to this kind of like material collection to project the fact that you have been like bestowed upon by God as this like demarcated like heavenly person yeah and I don't I don't I guess I don't know enough about it but did, did in your experience did, have you heard about that motivating people to also do like good things for the community or was that just kind of irrelevant in this case yeah like obviously I think the analysis of like the Calvinist religion in terms of the Protestant work ethic, like they don't really talk about, you know, being a good person. Like, obviously you think you're going to go to heaven. It really was a focus on like the manifestation of your working and the material things that you were mm. building on this earth, not necessarily the deeds that you were doing 
as because it was already person. predetermined anyway so you were just trying to make it appear that you had already been yeah and I, it's okay. very interesting because it was it was very early stage like anxiety management like you don't mm. that's crazy like if you like think about it like if you were like someone who grew up in like the Calvinist phase like to be told that there's nothing you can do to change whether you're going to heaven or hell meanwhile all these other you know sects of um protestantism and you know christianity are telling you that you can be a good person and go to heaven like there are things you can do to be told that there's nothing you can do that would send anyone into like a spiral yeah so of course you're like in the work in the woodworking shop (laughs) until the wee hours of the night you know making whatever to sort of distract yourself from Mm. really grappling with the fact that it's already been decided. That's so interesting. And it reminds me, I was having this conversation with my mom today. I do, something I I feel like is really interesting is I feel like a lot of the people I think about as being like these, um, like proclamatory, like they like to talk about how devout they are in their religion, particularly Christianity, the, the image that my mind takes me to is like these people are most likely Republican, most likely very well off, like economically. And I do, I've been like struggling with this. Like, I think, I I almost think that like really wealthy people being super devout Christians is almost, I think sometimes can, and most often subconsciously is like this, this thing that you tell yourself that like maybe you've gotten this far because of how how devout you've been but also perhaps like um you you need to continue to be devout because you have almost been blessed upon as being able to have these material things and I do just think it's really interesting because we were at the pool that I go to which is like a country club the other day and we were having dinner and like these girls who were sitting across the table for me were talking about their like Saturday Bible study group. And I just find it really interesting when, and and not to say like anyone can be religious on any spectrum of what you want to like of how, of how committed you want to be. But I do just, I think it's always interesting to see these like really wealthy people also be incredibly like devout and like um, staunch in their religion. And I do wonder like, is it this, is it this way? Because they feel guilty about their wealth and need to like relate talk to God or whatever to like take that weight off of themselves or also is it this thing that you feel like you've gotten this part because you've been close with God and this is a almost like a luck type thing um but I feel like that's neither here nor there because I don't really think there's there's much of an argument there but it does always make me wonder (laughs) yeah and that just reminded me of the probably the only bible quote that i quote oh my god it's not i i say this all the time oh (laughs) bible quote honey you mean a scripture (laughs) anyway not a quote from the bible what's wrong with me but the scripture from the bible that says it is easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the gates of heaven and i just think there are some bangers throughout like the bible that are just like like 
Like, you know, my mom was just quoting that in our conversation today. And I, and I totally hear that. And I think that's almost why rich people feel that they need to be closer to religion because they know that this is like, this is historically what's been said. And so they're like, okay, even though I'm not giving as much as I could be giving to, you know, the, the needy, at least I have this close relationship with God and the church and I'll give my money to the church, which hopefully will get me there, you know? Um, but yeah, you're right. There are some bangers that I feel like people often overlook because there are also some very not, not good things. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, and you know, the whole, like, when you talk about like being able to like discuss things with like God, like, or just be able to talk to God like in this one class we talked about the very first thing we studied in spiritual well, not religious was like evangelicalism and I think for a lot of people immediately when they hear that word they immediately get either tense or they're just like oh Westboro Baptist Church those crazy wing nuts who have like 20 something kids and are toting around guns in the south <laughs> yeah sure yeah okay there's that stigma and there's that you know aspect but like what we really focused on was that like evangelicalism is this like came about in like the 60s 70s ish and basically it was this like move towards like you can like straight up just talk to god like you would talk to a friend like and you could ask him anything and you could literally just like be like oh my gosh, God, you know, like, I want to wear these pumps. These Manolos are just so in right now. But like, I don't know, like, just like frivolous things that are like, very like, silly. Because when we think of prayer, we think about like, all right, we got to sit down and Mm -hmm. clear our hearts and be very formal. But like, you can like kick back and go on a walk and just be like, God, don't you think this is so funny? Look at this squirrel chasing this nut. Like you can literally, like that's the way they were talking about it in this book that we read. And on one hand, at first it's a little uncomfortable because it's like you are conditioned to like view prayer as something that, or your relationship to God as something that's like, here's this deity and this divine presence that you will never ever be close enough to because he's God and you're a human. And then shift to this like perspective where he is your best friend. And I think it's very comforting. And I can see the appeal in that. I could see why people would like, you know, float towards that sort of side of Christianity or like make that aspect more prevalent in their practice. But I just think it's very interesting. And I'm currently re I'm like, okay, so some background. Sometimes I can't fall asleep at night. And I usually listen to rain noises, but sometimes brain noises just don't cut it so I'll listen to like boring lectures and I was scrolling through YouTube one day and I found like studies and pessimism I was like oh yeah this is going by Arnold Schopenhauer yeah this is going to get me to sleep in 10 minutes (laughs) and I play it and it's low-key a banger (laughs) and of course I don't I don't stay up to like hear all of it because I go to sleep it's like a three-hour um reading but it is just very interesting like Basically, the pessimism philosophy is that life is suffering. And I don't think that's something that's like super out there or like abstract. Like, no, no, no. I think everyone can agree that there is suffering in this life. But basically, it's just the perspective of this life is full of suffering and bad shit happens all the time. 
And when good stuff happens, it's the exception to the rule. And it's just a break from your suffering and not something inherent about the nature of existence. Mm-hmm. And there's this one banger <laughs> from it. I got to stop saying but Every time I say banger, I should get hit in the face. <laughs> um, it's like life is an unprofitable episode. No, it's existence is an unprofitable episode disturbing the calm of non-existence. What? Oh. <laughs> what? And it basically talks about like, so if if you're a person and you recognize that suffering is just the nature of the world and you see everyone in your everyone around you you see people as your fellow sufferers you're more compassionate you're more mm. you know understanding and kinder because you understand like this is just the way it is we're in the suck and we're in this together though and so when you brought up the this connects obviously I'm <laughs> I'm not just rambling when you were talking about like how rich people like they feel maybe maybe this guilt or this separation from what they should be doing and it's like because they haven't experienced as much misfortune in the way of you know their wealth cushions them from the suffering a little bit that they forget to you know reach out and that's why you can see a lot that like a poor person will totally like yeah I'll give you five dollars even though I'm I only have 10, but a rich mm-hmm. person who is driving a Tesla and has 50 grand in the bank will just like roll over your foot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. And it's funny that you brought up evangelicalism because I didn't really know this whole side of it. My interpretation was that, oh, evangelicals, like their whole thing is that they want to proclaim like like they are almost like servants of God and that they want to like kind of like harshly spread their religion and their faith. And when I think of like people who do like um, who are like trying to convert people, I'm always thinking of like evangelicals, but obviously there's two sides to every coin. And I think a lot of this goes to like, like the organization and like institutionalism of religion, which is something I wanted to ask you, like, I think in my conversations with friends, um, like in my hometown, it's often like, obviously there's a lot of, I I just, okay, I'm going to rephrase this. I think historically in all religions, the issue is not necessarily the belief more often than not the belief or the thing that started all of the, the practice and the tradition and everything is like kind of pure and beautiful and this thing that everyone can agree is like just it's just another it's just another thing outside themselves and that eventually as time has gone by these organizations and institutions and things have obviously committed atrocities on many um like occasions and one thing that we bring up a lot with my friends just because I'm Catholic is like obviously Catholic priests and young boys and girls um, and abuse and like obviously the crusades and like everything that has happened in the past. And I think in, in no way am I saying that that's okay. I feel like me in my relationship with Catholicism, as I've said before, is like very much separate from the traditions and the practice and the ritual and the organization and very much like a here's the fundamental belief that I think I can take and adjust to my life and like my 
my needs as I see fit. Um, and so to me, I'm like, yes, you can certainly separate the organization from the belief or the, the root faith or whatever. Um, but I honestly think that's what drives a lot of people away from religion now is because of these, like the, the hierarchies and things that skew, skew it all. Um, which I think is honestly, like, it's, it's really sad that, that humanity has like kind of dirtied the, the pure core seed of the religions and everything. Um, but yeah, like, do you, do you feel like that's something you struggle with in like deter determining or like, um, categorizing yourself is just because of like the, the organization or institutionalism of it all? Um, honestly, it's like something I don't really think about often. Like, I just, because I feel so distanced from the religion itself, mm -hmm. the organization is just out of question, something that is not close to me mm -hmm. or something that I would ever draw that connection to. But so I, I think it's a good and valid question. I think the best questions are the ones that we don't have answers to. Yeah. The most important questions too. And so when you brought up the fact that like, there's like a core of religion teaching like this good thing and you know there are things around it that sort of muddy it and make it anything but and it's called perennialism just mm. like this belief that like all religions all belief systems have this one rooted we're all the same and it just gets manifested differently and like I mean shoot like some people hate on perennialism it's kind of controversial um, but I mean, no, but yeah, no, but yeah, like really the core of it all, be good, be kind, love one another, take air, take care of this earth and be grateful. And, you know, you can add in and out, you know, certain specifics, but really the core is the same. And it just reminds me when I say core, there's, I was listening to like this Christian Chenoweth, like, you know, and sometimes like they'll talk, they'll do a spiel or something before a song. And she was like talking about like, you know, her grandmother, like she had brought a gay friend, one of her gay friends home and stuff. And um, she, he was kind of worried about like, oh, you know, what is your grandma going to think about me? And she was like, the grandma was like, honey, you do religion the way you eat fish and you take the meat and you throw away the bones. And I think about that all the time. And I think a lot of, for some people, you know, they, they vehemently disagree with that. Like if you're gonna be a part of something, you have to agree with all the parts or you have to put yourself in fully. But like, honey, what's to say that you couldn't be like, I like this aspect. I like, you know, the, you know, the Jesus that flips tables in the temples because people are like, you know, being greedy capitalists and, you know, throw away the stuff that's like kind of iffy or something that just doesn't straight up resonate with you. I think we're all entitled to like makeshift our own gerrymandered belief system in a way. Yeah. And that's I think it's me. Yeah. I think it's again, going back to the Medici's, I think What's been also really interesting to me is I feel like amongst, and I'm sure this happens to like every 
community of people, but I feel like even I, but also my friends are because we've grown up in this like relatively Catholic, but mostly Christian community, like that we are hypercritical of the, all of the Christian sects. And we will also like um, diminish perhaps the advancements to culture that this religion has made over time and like value um, the cultural advancements of other faiths over what, and I, and I, over what the Christian faith has done. Um, And I do think that's really interesting is because for me, I'm also like, I don't understand how people can walk around with this incredibly negative pessimistic view of religion overall when when so many things have happened only as a result of people being able to be connected to this thing outside themselves and searching for this this ultimate truth that I will argue will never exist but that like in the quest has created so many like wonders of the world you know and I do I think it's really interesting to almost like also whenever you travel just be like really like attuned to like belief systems and how people have connected over this thing that has never been observed um is is something really interesting to me so I always try to be like really mindful of like of the the intersections between religion and like other like forms of culture and everything but what you were bringing up about um perennialism was reminding me of this thing called Baha'i which I just talked to my friend Cal about and I hadn't ever known about it, but basically it's just this faith that like is surrounds the idea of like religious unity between all the religions. So acknowledging that there is some truth in every religion and it doesn't matter because there's always a God. So it doesn't matter what your God looks like because ultimately, yeah, the the preachings and teachings are that should be and are the same. Um, And I was like, wow, that sounds really cool to me because like, I would feel like I feel connected to Catholicism, but I would argue mainly only because that's how I've been brought up. And that to me, yeah, it's, it's way less about, about Catholicism as, as one thing, but more about like just having a God and having some way to connect with him. And I think that that's obviously like something that ranges from all religions. And so I was like, oh, that's super cool. And I was looking more about it and (laughs) Like, obviously, because it's another institution, though they don't have a priesthood and they don't have hierarchy, um, they won't come out and say that, um, like, gay people have rights. And they're also, like, (laughs) incredibly conservative in a way that you wouldn't think this, like, kind of hippie-ish belief system is. And so, as I will argue with all humanity, like, you can't have it all. You just can't. But... um, (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting because it seems like kind of the same thing almost. Oh my gosh, not during June, not during Pride Month. Yeah, that's true. Happy Pride Month, listeners. Yes, happy Pride Month. But I was like, I'd heard of it before Baha'i, but I never really like looked into it or like, I guess it's a very well-cup secret. They're not (laughs) out there prophetizing. But I like... Another thing that's like interesting for me about like Christianity especially is like this idea of like this original sin and this fall from grace and so basically like Adam 
eats the apple. And honey, we could do an entire podcast on Mm -hmm. the story of Genesis itself. But my favorite part of that story is like when they both eat the apple and they both see themselves as naked. And so they hide. And then God like comes up and he's like, why are you guys hiding? And they're like, um, nothing, no reason. (laughs) He's like, no, why are you guys hiding? He's like, well, because we're naked. He's like, who told you you were naked? (gasps) Scandalous, scandalous. (laughs) And another banger from the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Who told you you were naked? (sighs) And from then on, like human beings were born tainted and full of sin and inherently flawed and broken and that there's only one way to redeem yourself and that's through Jesus Christ you know and I just think that's so interesting because to bring it back to like pessimism I don't know why this is my current obsession or interest Christianity is pessimistic like the idea that you know your life as a human being inherently without you doing anything to change it or fix it or trying to ameliorate this original sin that you had no part in creating. It itself, its essence is bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of people would be like, pessimism, Christianity? No, 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 no. Like just like getting all up in arms. But like, if you really think about it. No, but yeah. No, but yeah and so I just think that that was something that was very interesting I was like I'd never thought about it that way but that was something that always like sort of like I could never really get on board with or something that didn't really resonate with me too much Mm -hmm. is that we're all born like inherently sinful and flawed and you know that is our nature like we're sinful but sometimes we do good things and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. And someone will tell me, no, we're inherently good. And we just do sinful things. But either way, there is an origin of we fucked up. Yeah. And I do think it's also interesting because that begs the question then, like, is this idea of doing acts of kindness and everything, does that originate from this fear of like, like yeah yeah is the whole point of the religion of christianity trying to like fix what bad we were born with and then is our acts of kindness even acts of kindness when you're only motivated out of this like fear landscape um is yeah. really that's really interesting and i was just about, i was just about to write that down like can we ever do something for good because it's good or does everything sort of have this tint of like trying to either make us feel good or trying to bring us closer to some heavenly reward or what be it maybe maybe not and here's an I think an even bigger question does it matter does it matter and okay I will attempt to answer this I think based on our conversation from our previous episode pretty woman episode number six I would argue that no, you can't ever do anything just because you think it's good (laughs) because you are always concerned about what other people are thinking of you. But in the end, I don't think that matters because what is an act of good is an act of good. And I don't really think it matters what your motivation is necessarily, unless that's like 
actually prohibiting you from doing real good and making a real change. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I say, I think, okay, so that's like this huge, like cosmic philosophical scale, like, does it really matter? But then I think to bring it down to earth and like to make it more like personal, I think an easier way to tackle the question would be like, does intention matter? When someone does anything, is their intention a factor in how you view that? Because some people would say like it's impact over intention. If you do something to hurt someone and even if you were, you didn't mean to and that wasn't what you were going for, you still did it. And that's what we should focus on, what you mm-hmm. did, not what you were thinking. And then maybe other people are in another camp and they're like, you know, it does matter if there is an importance. So, you know, I mean, think about it. Like when we have like first degree, second degree, third degree murder, like the difference between all those are intent. So it's interesting. I can't say either way. I guess it might just depend on like the situation. Yeah. I th- yeah. Hmm. That is true. And I, I do think that like, that's like one of the fundamental questions too, is like of, of religion because as I've said before like I feel like I view it as this like selfish thing like I I want it when I need it like my relationship is very dependent on my current state of mind and everything and so I do I also think like a lot of people argue that religion and faith is a selfish thing that humans have created to make it so that we feel like there's this thing after us where we'll we'll always be somewhere and after this, when we die, we'll go to someplace better. And it's this thing to like make us feel better and lessen the anxieties of reality. Um, which I think to some degree that's true. But again, I don't I don't think it matters because I think ultimately for like for a lot of people, like if if the belief in heaven or the belief in some afterlife is what helps them get through the suffering and the pessimism of the world, like who cares if it's this selfish thing um, that we need to like get us through through the day? So I, I think like yeah, the the selfishness is like is like an interesting question um, in relation to religion. Yeah, again, the questions that we can't answer usually are the ones that I'm most interested. Like I. I'm very much a philosophical person. I love philosophy. I I think I've been an existentialist or been reading about like existentialism since uh, I was 15. So like, it's been a minute. And the whole idea is that like, yeah, we're here and, and we don't know why. And maybe it could be for no good reason at all. And that's probably it. It is it for existentialism but that at the same time is so crushing and so devastating but you sit and you think on it for a little bit and it's actually also super freeing Mm -hmm. if this doesn't mean anything then you can create meaning in whatever way you want it to be you can sort of be a little bit lighter and so I think the there's this book called the unbearable lightness of being that was just a life-changing book for me that I read um, like back in December. And basically um, 
there's this like part in the beginning where he where he's talking about like um this sort of like law of infinite return like you know something only ever happens once and it will never happen again the roman empire will never in existence return it's in the past it will always be in the past and so there's this like german adage um es keinmal is keinmal is einmal is keinmal um that's my very bad german for y'all and like basically like um what happened once should never have happened at all. And we only live one life. This planet will only be here one time in time in this very loose sense. It might as well have never happened at all. And that is very like, that was such a, whoa moment, like a very head spinning moment for me. But like in pessimism, it also talks about like, you know, our dying death destroys us as the individual. It destroys our consciousness as we experience it. But then we become what we were before, which is everything. And then after that, we will remain everything equally. And so that was, that's another thing that I'm interested in is consciousness, because we talked about it in like meditation too, because like, you know, the, like Buddhism and, you know, those religions sort of like got into like, where do we go when we sleep? How do we know that we're waking <laughs> up the same person every time we lose consciousness? And we do it every night. That is wild. <laughs> no, and something that was interesting that you brought up is this idea of like meaning making. And it was reminding me of this book that I read in high school called uh, The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon. And it's like this very weird postmodern thing. And it has no relation to religion, but arguably everything to do with religion. Because the whole point of the story is this character like trying to come up with like, they see this symbol and they think that it has this like weird meaning because it appears in their life so many times. And so they go on this quest throughout the whole book to figure out what this symbol means and so along the way they are connecting all these dots and making all these meanings but the whole point is that it actually means nothing so in this way it means everything but it also means nothing and it's like this like weird like chasm divide thing where it's like either every choice you do means nothing or every choice you do means everything. And you get to come up with what the meanings of each of your actions are. And so I do think like ultimately like humans are just searching, as you said, in this like existentialist framework to come up with something, some purpose, some truth. um, When we know we'll never have the absolute clear answers. Um, And that's totally fine. I think. Meaning making is totally fine unless it obviously and and it always will come with some kind of weird situation or baggage or when once we make the meanings into some kind of like legitimized framework or something, there will always be an exclusive meaning or a tinted meaning. And I think this is something I wanted to bring up as maybe like our final point to kind of bring it back away from more of like the deep philosophical stuff, but more to like these like weird divides in religion. Like, I think it's really interesting right now as we're becoming like a very much more politicized world, like that religions have such 
politically charged values that it's it, it at this point in time it doesn't even matter what you believe necessarily it's just another way to categorize human beings into kind of these like fighting parties and so i as i was talking with my mom like obviously like i'm catholic i'm christian whatever but i inevitably have these predisposed like beliefs about certain people's religious affiliation as it relates to their political affiliation, where I think that if you're a Christian and you openly talk about it more often than not, you're probably Republican. Um, and I, I just think that's really interesting because like, ultimately, like, as we've talked about, people form these groups because the goal is to, I mean, the ultimate goal is to be like a kinder human doing more for your world. And so ultimately we shouldn't be making these judgments about people who are trying to preach what they think is like the, the way to achieve being a better kinder human. Um, but I can't help myself from thinking different things or like, if you're Jewish, you're inevitably pro-Israel or, you know, whatever the, whatever the, the politicization is, I think it's like really present in our world today. And I think that that fuels religious divides further. Yeah. And again, this, this line of like, this is the secular and this is the non-secular and sort of in, in back in enlightenment, right? Like, like thinkers like Hobbes were like, okay, we're going to come up with the only way for a society to function is that religion needs to be something private and something internal and, you know, something that stays in the house. But when you come out into society, your God for another term is the government and is the state. And I just think it's so interesting. Like we talked about it, like back when I t was an IR major, <laughs> we talked about like, why do people, why are there like religious radicalist people? It's because they feel that something that is so innate, something that is so powerful and passionate and they're everything that the air that they breathe is their religion. How can you, the state tell me that something that I am that is my essence has to be turned off every time I walk outside the door of course conflicts were going to come about because of that and when it, it was they were talking about like suicide bombing and like how can you win you can't win a war against people who believe that what they are doing is for the ultimate good and for their god you can't win that you can't prevent anyone from strapping a bomb to their chest and going to a bus station because of what they believe. Very interesting stuff. And as you said, we are, we are as human beings, meaning searching machines. We are meaning makers. And whatever meaning listeners that you have decided to create or that you, um, that already existed and that you are co-signing onto, that's all right. That's it is all, all right. That's all right. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to us. And, you know, go out there and just be good humans. True. All right. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye.